everybody. Welcome to the Light Gate. Hope you're all having a great uh, night and had a wonderful weekend. Uh, we are coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans at 107.7 FM and the beautiful UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. We are on Roku. We are on uh, Facebook. We are on YouTube and every other kind of platform you could possibly imagine. We have a great guest tonight. You've seen her in chat in some of our other uh, shows recently, and I'm going to hand it over to Preston. <laughs> Thanks, Dolly. Yes, you are watching The Light Gate. This is episode 22. So exciting. I'm on a new computer, so I won't be freezing up like I have a couple of times. So that's good news. And yes, I'm Preston Dennett, your co-host and my lovely co-host is let's see if i can point the right direction dolly saffron a contactee and experiencer and yeah we have a really cool show tonight which i'll get to shortly i just want to say hi to all you guys who showed up for our little show here so thank you for that hi timoth man awesome to see you here hi doxy oh a super chat thanks so much doxy really appreciate that yeah, I'm eligible for Super Chats now, so if you want to support the show, that's always truly appreciated. Hello, Red Peanut. Let's see who else do we have here. Renee Cruz, Nancy Thames, lots of familiar faces. Dana Matthews. Hello, Dana. Who else do we got here? Let's see. Ah, namaste. Thank you so much for the Super Chat. That is very, very kind of you. Always appreciated. Um, hello, Angela. Who else do we got here? Chris. Ah, Raul Melendez. Wow, thanks, Raul. Super, super kind of you. I'm really humbled. I'm just amazed. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. Um, who else do we have? Lala Bright. UFO, gods, and extraterrestrials is with us. And who else do we got here? La, la, la. Lots of familiar names. You guys are hot in chat tonight, aren't you? Wow. Okay. Well, I think I'm, I'm Louisy. <laughs> yes, Louisy. <laughs> I'm going down here pretty fast and uh, I'm just going to, I think, get started. Janice Connett. Hello. And Allison Carr, if I didn't already mention you. Rena Ruth. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. Ruth Kleiber. And I know I'm pronouncing that right because I asked the Cosmic Oracle. Thanks for being here. We truly appreciate it. Terry D. Ah, Special Forces. I can always use Special Forces. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Hi, Lynn Smith. I'm so excited about tonight's show. Nautical Strings, Fun Talks TV. Ah, Adam Ward. Thank you very much. Um, let me just pop that up. Hi, Preston and all Preston's fans. <laughs> Very nice of you. John P. Adventures, Christopher Harmon, Mary Mellon. We got a nice big crowd, so I am super happy. So yeah, I am really, really excited about today's guest. She's somebody I interviewed for my latest book, Humanoids in High Strangeness. She's got one of the most amazing contact stories I've ever heard. And tonight on episode 22 of The Light Gate, we are welcoming artist and UFO experiencer, Susan Ware. Now, Susan is 
the designer of fine fish and mermaid tail purses, sea treasure jewelry, and magical fairy houses. I've seen some of them. They're really cool. As a very young woman, she joined the United States Navy. Had some interesting experiences there, to say the least. She is also a lifelong UFO and ET experiencer. And in fact, in September of 1978, Susan and her friend Karen went on a road trip across the United States from California all the way to the East Coast, North Carolina. And while crossing the deserts of Utah late at night, they had a missing time encounter on a desert highway that would alter the course of their lives. And after many years of keeping silent about it, Susan decided it was time to confront her past and explore her missing time encounter. And this happened through a fortuitous series of events. We decided to type in the word UFO on the computer and guess what came up? John Yost's documentary, uh, Alien Abduction Answers, an award-winning documentary, by the way. So this began Susan's journey of self-discovery. She soon went under quantum hypnosis with Debs Shakti Muller, who's quite experienced with this. And Susan was able to recover what happened during her missing time on that amazing night in 1978. And yeah, Susan's, Susan's story is one of the chapters in my book, Humanoids in High Strangeness, 20 True UFO Encounters. Her story has also been presented by MUFON State Director Earl Gray, who actually, as you know, Dolly, a guest on this show. So you can look that up if you'd like. But this is Susan's first public appearance talking about her experiences. So let's give her a nice, warm welcome. She deserves it. She's one of my favorite people on this planet. <laughs> I'm going to bring her in right now. There she is. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi, it's Susan. So sweet, welcome to the light gate. <laughs> well, I mean it. I mean, it was such a delight. You know, I interview a lot of people. <laughs> And sometimes I just have so much fun talking to them. And you were right there on the top of the list. I think it's because we both giggle. <laughs> yeah. Maybe true. Yeah. I, I, I am a little giggly. I've been accused of that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, your story was so profound and touching and just amazing in so many different ways. And I think there's so many people out there having these kinds of experiences. So... I know your story and going public is going to really affect a lot of people and I think help them. And it's just amazing to see how far you've come from not talking about this at all, <laughs> really, uh, mm -hmm. to coming almost, I mean, full circle, like we've said. So this is super exciting. And yeah, but I guess Earl Gray contacted you. Your story might actually be featured on TV. Is that right? Yeah, it, I, I'm not going to say the name of the show, but he said it was on a new series. So um, we talked about it. Kind of blew me away. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to come out soon, like like in a couple of weeks, I believe. Yeah, it was so funny because when we were doing the show with Earl Grey, he started talking about screen memories 
and up popped your case. I'm like, wait, you know, I think I know that case. He mentioned the rabbit. He said the rabbits, and it was like, whoa, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, well, you've got a really amazing story, and there's all places, kinds of places we could start with, but I thought it would be fun to just start with how you grew up, and I know you joined the Navy at a very young age. I think that's such a cool story because not many people have the courage to do that, to just strike out on their own and move. Well, I always knew possible. I was going to. I don't know why I always knew I was going to. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm, always. So that was just something you just wanted to do from a very young age? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. My favorite time with my dad was always watching like the voyage to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> and um, Mikhail's Navy? Mikhail's Navy was <laughs> it, yeah. And I think it's funny because when I got to Hawaii, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like Mikhail's Navy. Serious, but it had its side fun and jokes, so... So did you have to go through all the basic training and stuff? Was that hard? Oh yeah, no, not it. It. it I don't remember it being exceptionally hard. It was uh, more physical, but still very mental. Didn't seem like any big deal. Um, well, you were pretty funny. young. One of my friends from boot camp, I think, is in the chat room tonight. Her name is Timmy Shea, and I found her on Facebook this past year. And I was so happy to find her because she's the one I remember from boot camp. We were so much alike, and I had a lot of pictures I shared with her. And um, that was kind of cool that, that she found me. And that. And I think I'm pretty sure she's in the chat tonight. <laughs> or at least, you know, wow. she's watching. Yeah, well, everyone's excited about seeing you. Here's... Janice kind of says, welcome, Susan. <laughs> Looking forward oh, to hearing your please. experiences. And here's <laughs> Rad Peanut. Hi, Susan. Glad to have you here please. tonight. <laughs> so, yeah, our chat is really friendly, folks. So we're going to have good. a good time. <laughs> good. And if anyone acts up, I will boot them. So you, anyone <laughs> Thanks. just giving you a warning. Yeah. <laughs> no I'm misbehaving. Just, tell it just like it happened. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's only one way to tell it because there's only one way it happened. <laughs> so Hawaii, what an awesome place to be stationed. I mean, that's yeah, I was in Norfolk for the first six months. And after I got used to being away from home, which, you know, is from North Carolina, not very far. I just in the middle of the night, one night when I was on duty, uh, called my detailer and they said, well, we can send you to Hawaii. And I thought, what? Just like that? And <laughs> three, three weeks later, I was there. And it's um, amazing. It, that's not necessarily I didn't. You know, I saw a couple of things when we flew, and I remember the first time seeing something out the window and saying, what's that? And, you know, everybody came over the window and looked out. But as soon as I said, what is it? And it's like, oh, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that at all. You don't don't talk to anybody about that. And I what got did the you finger see? In the finger in the face. It was an orange ball. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. One time it was a dark gray ball, and one time it was an orange ball. Uh, one time it was between Hawaii and Kauai, and the other time, oh, I think we were just out uh, testing an engine, so we weren't very far. But um, I even asked somebody one time at 
the bowling alley and they were like, you know, we don't talk about that. And then I thought, what is the deal? It has to be something if nobody's talking about it. <laughs> were you thinking? I mean, were you how, thinking it was UFO? It and only flown a few times. How could they not see it all the time? Because they flew all over the Pacific. So, oh. you know, I was the first girl and I was on the flight line and I just learned real quick to keep my mouth shut. Did you think there were UFOs then or what were you thinking? Well, I, I just knew uh, I had read about foo, about the foos. And that's oh, really all foos. that they called it back then was the foos. Because somebody actually said, oh, the foos. Yeah, but we don't talk about that. So, <laughs> so we didn't. But we are now. Wondering. Yeah, but it didn't ramp up until I uh, left Hawaii and was stationed in San Diego. And we started going out in the desert, uh, a lot of friends. And Karen was with me a lot. I had a friend, Jackie. And um, then the first thing that really happened was when my friend Rick from North Island uh, he had a green Jeep with yellow hubcaps and it just would go anywhere. I am mean, anywhere. I, I, it was like a magical machine. <laughs> I had never been four wheeling like that. And literally we were driving, you know, like here with our, with our tires on the, wow. on the diff, you know, on the different Hills, right. We were in the middle. It was like the craziest thing. And, um, and while they were all asleep, because we all set up camp, and I remember taking the seats out of the Jeep because I was the only woman, and I knew Rick, and I knew our friend Grizzly, but there were two other guys. And, you know, as a military woman, I was just real careful to watch myself. So I asked him if I could sleep in the Jeep, and I took the seats out because the doors were off and everything. It was just, you know, I did that and slept there and it was kind of odd because I remember waking up and there was a, an egg shape. Now remember we were in the ravine and so the, you know, the, the peaks were all around us on both sides, but there was an egg shape, uh, blue kind of turquoisey blue thing that flew over total silence. You could hear the coyotes. You could hear the sounds of the desert. You could hear the fire crackling. But it shot out these little do 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 dots. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so and so yeah, for those who can't see, um, there's some people who are just listening on the radio. So for those who can't see, this is your drawing, right, Susan? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. And that's kind of like in the ravine where we were. So you could see it. You could see them shooting out, but you couldn't. I kept waiting for a sound when it hit the ground. <clears throat> an explosion, a pop, anything, nothing. It was, it was just total silence. And um, I was in the green Jeep sleeping when I saw that. And I saw the guys all laying around. You could see on the, on the picture laying around the fires. And it, it's really funny. I remember uh, we needed more than one fire because there was some weird sounds out there. All kinds <laughs> of strangeness out because you're, it's, it's pretty desolate. This is the and, Anza Borrego Desert, right? Yeah, it's the Anza Borrego, and it's Coyote Canyon. And we had gone past the third uh, watering hole way out into the Badlands, and it, it was just wild out there. So I didn't much think anything about it until the next morning 
when I couldn't find my shoe. And it was like a, a you know, it was the 70s and everything's in style again. It was like a platform sandal and it was rainbow colors <laughs> with yellow straps. So it's not something that you could misplace or lose. It doesn't blend in with anything. <laughs> and we looked everywhere. They all teased me, you know. I'm like, you guys, somebody had to take my shoe because I had both shoes when I got in here. You can't be in the desert without something covering your foot. And we'd been out all day. And I had gotten in there and then taken my shoes off and gone to sleep. So um, the next day, just out of the blue, they were all joking me because I was, you know, saying, you know, you guys, I want my shoe. So I ended up buying a, uh, borrowing a sock and it, it, you know, it's pretty nasty borrowing a sailor sock, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had one shoe and one sock and they were calling me uh, in, in the service in the Navy when you're an electrician, an aviation electrician, you're called a one wire. So I was a one wire, one shoe, one shoe, <laughs> one wire. That's, that was the joke. And at, we got everything loaded up and, kept going forward. We didn't backtrack. We went forward deeper and about a mile away, they found my shoe. They just stopped. What is that? And why is your shoe up there? It was a mile away. Nobody had left camp. Nobody had taken my shoe over there. It was bizarre. I could not figure it out. It's always been on my mind since 1970. This was probably 70, early 78. And in my first trip out there, so the guys climbed up and got the shoe. And, you know, we did the whole investigation. There were no walking marks. There were no cave-ins around the shoe. There was nothing. It was just sitting on a sheer cliff by itself, just sitting there. And <clears throat> that's never been understood all these years, just all of a sudden, um, it was just acceptable because I didn't know what else to think. But <laughs> actually, the next day, when, you know, the same day we, we found the shoe and I put it back on my foot, just a couple miles farther, we had gone through these canyons where they had to winch each other over. And big rocks, it was sand. Anybody that's been out there knows it's sandstone. It kind of, it, it kind of, you have to kind of climb under the sandstone in some places you can't. So, um, we winched, and when we got to the other side, we saw this opening from above on the top of the big rocks, and there was this giant green Buick with a, a Buick Electra with the, you know, the fancy side. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and <laughs> this is not the one, like but this is an example. <laughs> in the middle of these rocks, there's no was it way. intact? It, it was intact. It, it was beat to to heck and the tires were flat and those fancy coverings over the wheel wells were bent up and some of the fenders were bent and the only way you can explain that is it had to have been dropped from above because there's no way a flash flood's going to carry it there there's no way you can get in there we had just, just went for an hour and it was hilarious Oh, we all oh, we went through it. You know, you could tell anybody that had been out there had been through it. There was animal hair and everything else in it. Have anything and left behind in it? An old sandal. There was a single sandal. 
it looked like an old, like oldest Jesus sandal. I don't know how to explain. <laughs> it was really old and beat up. And the black top was uh, burned from the sun and kind of peeled. But how it got in there and the jokes were hilarious listening to guys all try to, they were measuring, trying to figure it out, you know. No, there's no way. And I said, that thing had to be dropped from above. Well, they, they're all helicopter guys. And then the joke was, yeah, but who's going to do that? It was like, we'll see. See? <laughs> I don't you know. You look in the trunk? Uh, all that was sprung and opened and really? already wow. been gone through. I mean, yeah. that would have been the first thing I would have done is to make sure nobody was in the trunk. So, you know, we gave it a good walking over. We had to crawl on yeah. our bellies even to get to it. That's what was so bizarre. Wow. Is there there's just no way it could have gotten oh, there so yeah. you know there's there's another there's a that's the second bizarre thing on this trip so we got back and then it and a lot of it was just jokes about what had happened on the trip and um i had told all my girlfriends we got to go so on my 22nd birthday we went back and jackie's truck kept having um it was really hot because it was in may on my birthday and in the desert it's already warm then and I didn't know, but they had snuck a cooler out there with a whole fancy birthday cake. Aww. And then, you know, I would put a shelf in it and put all the food on top. So I had no idea. So after trying to nurse the truck for a while, I said, let's just, let's just camp here, you know, off the side of the road. And we saw water, a, a wet spot. And we started digging and we all, water started coming up. And so we, it was so hot and it was so perfect because it's almost like we manifested it. I don't know how it, <laughs> happened, but, you know, it is, it, there's, there's wells around there and it, it's called Borrega Springs, you know, for a reason. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and so here we are almost, almost no clothes and dug a hole. All of us were scattered around in our own little wet pool. <laughs> Very no, cool. Yeah, we were just all talking and having a wonderful time. And the weirdest thing happened. So I've had two heroes when I was growing up. Uh, Johnny Weissmuller, who was Tarzan. And I got to meet him because my dad was a cop. And he was at the theater. And, and then um, 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 Mutual of Omaha's Wild, Wild Kingdom, Marlon Perkins. So out of the show all the time. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he, this dude's in the Explorers Club. He was like my hero. I loved him on the show. He was an adventurer and he brought the world to me um, on the show. And um, he just came buzzing up on this little metal bike, but it had big wide tires and it was all beat up. And he was like over really super tanned and white hair. And he, I looked at him and I went, oh my goodness, you're Marlon Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, how weird to find you here. And he said, how weird to find y'all here. Half clad with a mouthful of cake, sitting in wet pools in the desert. Just, you know, it was kind of funny. <laughs> and he, he said, can I take pictures? And we were like, yeah. So even to this day, I wonder if his, if his widow has those pictures somewhere. I don't know. That would come under the definition of high strangeness. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. Right? And that night was pretty strange too, because 
my friend Deborah from the service that I had met in Hawaii, we had met again in Chula Vista and she had gone with us and she was a clairvoyant and had, she was very magical. Um, and she had actually had owl wings a long time ago that she had done this and levitated me. So I knew that she had some kind of special gift I wasn't sure about, but it was her introduction to those things mm -hmm. in Hawaii because she was like the second or third woman in the squadron that I'm, that I'm pretty sure opened me up to the things that I already knew from a child when I had had visitations. So I think it just started coming on strong then. And I didn't know anything about the shoe until after I had hypnosis. And at the end of the hypnosis, I saw it. And I screamed out on the videotape, there's my shoe. I saw <laughs> my foot. And I also saw, and I remembered seeing, I remembered the memory of seeing all those guys from above laying on the ground. So that must have been when I was coming down to the Jeep. It's the only thing I could think of. It was literally a visual of them all sleeping from above. And that's the only thing I could think of because that's what happened during the hypnosis. It, it came back, but it was a very familiar memory. I just had forgotten that part. You know, like Dolly, you remember, but I didn't remember. And that's the part that I, you know, that coming down, that coming down and seeing them, I don't know how I ever forgot that, but it was locked away. <laughs> when I saw it, I literally screamed out in the videotape, oh, it's the shoe. <laughs> because well, I saw cool it float off my foot and go right down to the ground. So, wow. It's um, very cool to finally get an answer to that mystery because how can you explain that? <laughs> that it's must have the, nodded you forever. The first thing when I came out of hypnosis, the first thing I, I said is, oh, I can't, I, I know I can't call the guys and tell them, but I really wish I could call the guys and tell them I know about the shoe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Grizzly's past, and I don't know the other two guys, and Rick, I don't know if he'd be open to that, so I just have it. But, but I thought it was hilarious that after all these years, 45 years later, I know where my shoe went and how it got That's a mile a away. Thing. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it was a beautiful thing. It was so relieving and hilarious because I started laughing even in hypnosis. It just tickled me to my depth when I saw it float off and like in a slow yeah. motion. Yeah, I, have a, I have a really weird question to ask you. Okay. Yeah. And it's because I do this. I've done it. Um, after some of my experiences, whatever I had on or something I collected, I would keep. I, I I have mementos of my high adventures. Did you keep the oh. shoes? <laughs> Did you think you keep um, the shoes? I think shoe? about them all the time. Yeah. I think I kept yeah. them for a lot of years, but yeah. um, all the books and everything that we had, all yeah. the, everything that we had was left in the attic in New Jersey when we moved. Oh, wow. And we didn't take, we didn't remember to take the boxes out of the attic and it was all of our military stuff. All of our trip stuff, things that were so precious. So that can happen. I, yeah. I wish we would have, but you know, we had we we moved like twenty nine times. So I guess that's not bad to just lose a few things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. actually, yeah. 
Well, Brad what, Peanut what, says, I love her voice so much. It's scratchy. It's just really scratchy right now. I've got awful allergies and the season change and <laughs> the storms are starting. So yeah. yeah. So so what did you do after that trip? I mean, did did you start thinking about um ETs, UFOs? I mean, what went through your mind after that? Were you put well, you on know, the, I, the road I was to always trying I was to wake it up or? interested in things because I knew yeah. it was just not the norm but then again when i was a child was not necessarily the norm either mm -hmm. so i think that you just find a place and a comfort somehow with these things because originally i was four and i remember the first time it happened i remember i loved to sleep upside down on my bed i never wanted to sleep with my head against the wall <laughs> and my brother was in the room and so i would do my pillow at the foot of the bed and that way I could see a straight line to where the front door is in the living room. And, and I could hear my dad come home because he was a cop and he'd come home about 11. But I guess he was already home and I had missed it. But I heard the, like the handle on the door. And this is when we lived on the plaza in Charlotte in a, in a little small house. Mm. And when I looked, there was a weird face in those three little windows at the top of the door. There was a weird face. It was like a big head and big eyes and weird. And I remember I needed to go to the bathroom. So I rolled off the bed, you know, like tactical manner. <laughs> and I crawled on my hands and knees as fast as I could to the bathroom, which is a, a, a central hallway. And my parents' room was next door, but my brother was in the same room as I was. And I remember hitting that heated grade on the heater in the floor and it just like burned my knees. But I went to the bathroom and then I was real careful, but I, I, I don't know why, but I couldn't look at the, the, the door. It scared me so bad. I remember being in total panic mode. And I just went back to the bed and covered up my head, you know, because just like you, Dolly, if you cover up your head, then they can't see you. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would see, uh-oh, they're at the window. And in the summer, the window was always open because there was no AC back then. And right. of course, it wasn't as hot as it is now, but we just always had, you know, the crickets out. The, out. It was just a normal, that's what you did back then. Um, and that was in the 60s. So... And isn't that the time you started to have weird dreams about, you know, tanks and stuff? Yeah. Yes. I was having recurrent dreams that would show me tanks in the streets, like military tanks and chaos and explosions and loud sirens. And it was so chaotic in my dreams. I, sometimes I couldn't stand it. And it would flash like... So it wasn't a, a regular dream. It was um, almost like a strobe kind of effect. And, and it, it bothered me. young kid? Yeah. And it, 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 it even bothered me my whole hmm. life. I couldn't stand, even as a teenager, you know, you go to parties and they got a strobe. It's like, oh, nope, no strobe for me. That just messed my mind up because it reminded me of those dreams. <laughs> And that went on for years. And then we moved to another house on Vanderbrook and it, all the windows were up at the top of the room that there was nothing from the, you know, in the middle of the room. It was 
all windows around the top. And it's the kind that you push out on a long stick and then you pull it back and lock it. And I would find myself sleepwalking in the yard and I don't in, in my little jammies, you know, and I couldn't get back in unless the door was unlocked. And sometimes we would leave it unlocked. Um, but I couldn't get in because it, the windows were way up off the ground. So, um, I remember seeing a ladder, a small ladder. And one time I went up the tree and it was between, um, my house and Ginger's house next door. And that tree became very active. <laughs> it's almost like I could feel a presence on that side of the house. But I'm sure it had something to do because the, the woods were in the back. We had woods in our backyard. I was really lucky as a child. We had our we had woods in the back and we had a creek. So a bridge very under cool. the creek, you know, we would always play, you know, the trolls and we always had really good clay, gray clay, and we would take it up under the house. And um, that was our little play place. Everybody, everybody on the street, we were all really close and we all hung out together. And there was, I think my friend Pam might be in the audience tonight, Pam Hotesquaw, and she remembers Bronco. So Bronco was a tree that was about this big around and it was a dogwood tree. <laughs> and when I first moved to that house and had not really met the friends yet, uh, Bronco was like my best friend. And I don't know why, except he spoke to me. He was wow. like a tree spirit. And it's the first time anything like that had ever happened to me. And uh, I remember him, it was like, hey, and I was like, hmm? <laughs> what and he said climb me climb me and i that's very okay. cool and i remember coming home with major rash on my legs because i had on shorts and a little tiny top you know my arms were all scarred up right here all scarred up like what have you been doing and i told my mom i said well I've been climbing a tree. Why? And I said, because he said, climb me. <laughs> and I thought, mm, I thought I was going to get the soap in the mouth, like mm. wash my mouth out. Yeah. Like, oh, that's ridiculous. So we were allowed to have imagination. And, but that was a little more than imagination because this was a telepathic voice. It said, climb me. And it's funny because when I mentioned it to Pam, like a couple days ago, she said, you were the only one that could shimmy up that tree and then bring it down so that we could all jump on it. And what Bronco did was I would climb up and then I would hold like this with all my might. Because remember, I was only like five years old and I would throw my little legs out and the tree would bend and go right down and all the kids would grab onto it. There she is. There's Pam. And... <laughs> would grab onto it and we would jump and it would it would almost like give us a throw you know like throw you in the air and then bring you back down so if it was one person at a time it was always a blast it was just so magical bronco was like my best friend and then and then we met pam and sandra and lynn and everybody else and um everybody used to come up there and then it was it was a, like a year or two we had bronco 
And then a new. You know, Susan, wait, I have to, I, I have to just say like, this is so amazing to me because I don't know if you got a chance to read the whole book, but there was another lady in the book, Kelly, I think I called her, had amazing experience with the tree spirit. Really? And Dolly, really? Yeah. I haven't gotten to that story, but I would love to talk to her. Because <laughs> and Dolly was all about it, climbing it was trees too. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard a voice in my head that was so profound. He said, climb me. And I was yep. like, what? That's so cool. <laughs> no. Because contactees have this amazing connection to the natural world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it took a little while to me to figure out that, you know, he was just like my best friend. I would grab my oatmeal in the morning and run out over the bridge, up the hill to go sit with Bronco. And it's funny because when I told dad all about, you know, told my daddy about Bronco, he made sure there was no poison ivy around there because we were always coming home with poison ivy. He cleared all that around because it was kind of like our fort. Yeah. But then the bad guy, Jerry Johnson, he moved in our neighborhood and he was just, he was mean. And I'm sure it's because um, of what, I'm sure it was a family thing because he was, I could just tell his parents weren't like all the other parents in the neighborhood. They were mean. And all of a sudden one day I went up there and Jerry had an ax in his hand and he had cut, he had chopped Bronco down. I don't want to cry. Oh. Mm. Oh. And it put me in the fetal position for almost a week. Oh, I can't hardly talk oh. about it. I can imagine. Yeah. It's Preston like a doesn't know this. I've never told him this. Okay. You're going to hear it tonight. I've named trees my whole life. And the last one I named, I called him Howler because somebody chopped him up and he was just sort of like with no arms, you know, just oh. the stilts of his arms going up and he, his maw was open and he looked like he was howling up to the moon. Why? And I called him yeah. Howler. And I watched Howler stand there like that for about five, six years before he finally went down. And I mourned him so bad. I went and laid flowers down next to him. Yeah. I was mean, on I'm, top of Stone it, Mountain. It, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's not still not, excuse me, right pine mountain. Yeah, it, I cried my eyeballs out. I know exactly how you feel. It's, yeah, I just it lost was, a friend. It was a deepness yeah. that at age five I had yeah. never felt. It was a loss yeah. of a good friend. Uh, he had a beating heart, as far as I am concerned. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember daddy just carrying me back and laying me on the sofa. And then he went down and talked to Jerry's parents, which didn't help anything, you know, but they did. They moved out shortly after that, and the na the neighborhood came back to love again. But I I do remember how it hurt. It was just like losing a brother or a sister, or it was so deep, and it was I couldn't I couldn't tell anybody he talked to me. That would yeah. I just knew it was one of those things that I should keep to myself, you know, along with the weirdness in the backyard. Because uh, the other things that happened in the backyard on the plaza was, and my brother was part of this, we had a rope swing. And one day we were standing there, we were walking out to it, and we just stopped in the rope swing that usually just hangs down with the rope across, you know, like this with the rope across the bottom. The rope just went all by itself. And the, the board was up here and the rope was curved. What? And it was... It was hanging by itself. And I Did y'all look up after that? Did you look up in the sky after that? I mean, look around a little bit. Our eyes met. Our eyes met. I knew he had seen it. And I was like, whoa, because I was. 
and, and he just shook his head you know he ended up being a cop for 37 years but he just shook his head like like i'm not even going to talk about it but i know he saw it so that is weird yeah it oh, if you got a ufo going over the top of your head that can happen <laughs> anything you know, hanging down can just suddenly float up because the, the gravity changes under a ufo yeah because these were giant oak trees yeah we wouldn't have seen yeah. it but that area of the yard had a weird feeling it was almost like a warp zone it's huh. it was at the edge of the yard and then there was a railroad track back behind plaza and i just knew not to swing real high on it and it was weird feeling to me <laughs> that and, and i'm sure that that had something to do with seeing that you know just wow. seeing that and uh i used to try to talk to the kids next door because we stayed at, at miss cheney's next door um she she kept all the kids in the neighborhood and i tried to talk to some of them about it but they all looked at me like I was crazy. So I just knew to be quiet about it, you know? Yeah. Well, well we have to get to your main experience. Cause this is like the heart of, <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is the experience this that woke you up, one. that changed your life. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, that absolute, I mean, it's astounding. So this was and when I you had just had left. Couple, I, yeah. I had a couple weird things under my belt already, you know, and I don't know, Preston and Dolly, I don't know how what you do with those things, but there seems to be some like space that those go into in your head that's different than a regular memory. It's like a special memory. And you just, it, as you get older, it's stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down. And in yeah. the service, a few things happened uh, that I, I was hurt really bad. As a matter of fact, I fractured my neck and I was asked to, to keep it quiet. I was asked to lie about it and just suck it up and keep it quiet. And mm -hmm. I did. And I had, I got out of the service happy, but still feeling like, how do I say it? I was tired of lying, being told to lie and to keep secrets the whole seeing the orange orb we don't talk about that the whole fracture of the neck i was shot off the wing of a c-130 with a high power pressure washer and when i fell and and then i couldn't move but then we got back and you know it was i was sent home for a couple days and everything's going to be fine but we're not going to talk about it so i was just kind of burned feeling at that point and I was just ready to get out. So I'd got all my uniforms and everything. We were gonna go, uh, I had asked my friend Karen if we could go, if she'd go with me cross country and take all my stuff to North Carolina back to my home. Um, and I had met uh, the man that I was gonna marry but we were just barely dating. So I wasn't really attached to anyone or anything. And right. we were just gonna go have a good time. And then our friend, uh, one of the officers, said could you we we just bought a brand new volvo so that was in 1978 and we need it delivered to north carolina so that when i get out the car will already be there because we already have two vehicles that me and my wife are going to drive ourselves so we were like yeah we would drive your brand new volvo you know i remember saying can we put a deadhead sticker on the back and he's like no 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he gave us fifteen hundred dollars to to get it there. So hotels and everything. So when we left, we were really um, just open, totally open-minded. And we had gone to AAA to get an old triptych. So you get uh, a book that has all the hotels and it has your plan to go all the way across country with the little stops here that you might want to see. So we did all that. And then we left. So I got out on September 13th and on the morning of the 14th, we took off and we just had a blast. We drove all up to Flagstaff and then did the whole um, South Grand Canyon. And then, you know, all the Flintstone weird Flintstone mobile little towns along the way. And <laughs> a lot of red rocks. It's just fabulous. And when we got to the Northern part of, of the Grand Canyon, we thought, you know, we really don't just want to, we're not ready to go to a hotel. It's just too much fun. We've had too much fun. And it's going to cool off at night. So let's drive the desert at night. So that's what we had decided to do. And so we got gas in Cedar City. But I re remember we stopped at St. George. But we got gas in Cedar City. It was like right at 9 o'clock. And I remember it because it was the sunset was 360 degree. It was just the most magnificent sunset and karen and i were both just thrilled at that and i remember we stayed a little while after we got gas to enjoy it and i'm pretty sure we took pictures she's looking for pictures right now and i'm sure she's probably going to find them i hope All so that would be amazing trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so we decided to just you know here we go we're going to drive into the night and it was a full moon which was also planned because we knew we were going to be in the desert and of course you know you want the full moon and we weren't afraid of the desert because we had spent a lot of time there together and she was a great traveler. So I didn't have to worry about that. And she didn't have to worry about me. We just got along and we were just going to drive into the night. So when we left, I remember just a few miles, it's maybe 10 miles out of Cedar city, Utah. There's a town called Enoch, which I didn't even know what Enoch was. Then I didn't know that that was a name from the Bible and the whole story, all of that. I didn't know any of that. Which I just so remember weird. the name <laughs> Enoch. And then all of a sudden, the moon came up to the east over the mountains. So we were headed 15 north. And back then, it wasn't four lanes. It was just two. And so on both sides of us, there were mountains. So we were in the ravine like this. And, and the road was all windy going down. I think, I think there's probably a picture. I think. But I guess we'll get to that. So... Um, we're just driving and, and it's like, oh my God, the moon is just beautiful. So it got, oh, you know, if you're measuring it when you're looking at it, it's like two inches. It had come up over the mountains and it was just so bright. And Karen and I, you know, the adventurous self, we said, let's turn the lights off and drive for a little while. So we turned the lights off and then, wow, it's really bright out here. Turn them back on and turn them off and turn them on. So not paying attention that we were really, you know, a lot of flashing going on, but there was no cars out there. It was completely quiet. And I think back then people didn't do so much business driving. So about five o'clock, six o'clock, the hotels got full and um, 
we were just by ourselves on the highway. And then all of a sudden, I noticed, and it's the weirdest feeling. I can feel it in me right now. It's like, wait a minute, the moon just came up. So where is it? And I, it, and I remember Karen looking up, you know, she was looking up. And it was so disturbing to me because all of a sudden it wasn't just the moon that was gone. It was the stars too. And it became mm, unusually black. But our headlights, you could focus very well um, in front of us. And then all of a sudden, Karen came to a stop. And I remember I had just said, oh, here's something else. About 10 minutes before that, I was telling Karen uh, stories about Rick and I and something we had seen, these weird jackrabbits. And they're kind of like, if you've ever seen a um, roadrunner, when it crosses the road, it's just, it's gone, gone. You don't see the body really. But that's what I had seen, the jackrabbits. And I had told Karen about that. So when you put all this together, we're blinking our lights, driving down, you know, and I'm talking about jackrabbits. Oh, I'd love to see some of those jackrabbits. And then I told her about it. And then the blackness start. So all of a sudden the car comes to a stop and we weren't thinking because at that point, something else had started taking over because we opened our doors and we got out and walked around to the front of the car with the headlights on. Now remember, it's pitch dark. The, the stars have disappeared and the moon had disappeared. And I remember reaching over and holding Karen's hand for a moment. And the reason she stopped is because there were giant jackrabbits in the road, about 30 of them, three, just like that, three or four feet tall, just scattered and it was so weird because we knew it was strange, but we, were, we weren't in our right presence. There was just something that wasn't right. And as we look at them, all of a sudden there's a split second that now, oh, and the music was going really loud in the car. We were listening to Steely Dan, uh, Katie Lied, Dr. Wu, and it was blasting. So all the blasting was coming out. We got the light. It's the only reality that we have. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, the lights went out on the car. The car stopped. The music went silent. And these white, huge, white, the whitest white I have ever seen came over us. Oh, I'm having trouble swallowing came over us and it was in a circle all around the jackrabbits and us and the car. And at that split second, the jackrabbits all turned around just like this at the same time, they all went and looked at us and they weren't jackrabbits. They were gray aliens. And I couldn't say that for years. Karen finally was the first one to say, were they gray aliens? Uh, and I finally were like, yes, I can say it. And that was just last year. That was this the this year that I've just been able to say that. When they turned around, their eyes were gigantic. And when I screamed, where is the moon and the stars? They were in the eyes of those aliens. The moon and the stars were in those gigantic eyes. And they all moved so weird in slow motion. 
very weird. And then we woke up in a diner in Colorado, just like that. And wow. our heads were down. My mouth got real dry talking like this. This is the first time I've ever like really said it. Except <laughs> <Like> to <that. laughs> yeah. Um You're I, good. I remember You're her good. face and I'm sure she probably remembers mine because we said where are we? What are we doing here? Total panic, absolute terror. And we were covered in radiation burns, like blistered. Blisters had started. They weren't all blistered. Some of them were, they were just red raised splotches and um, really nauseous, super dry mouth. I felt like my sinuses, my whole body was dried up, which, you know, you could, you could rationalize that as, you know, we've been a desert rat for 24 hours, but that's not how it felt. It was just something really wrong because we were in this diner and how we woke up was the, she came from behind and she said, honey, time to wake up now. The waitress did. And, and, you know, where are we? Oh my God, what are we doing here? Karen and I totally lost. We just had a weird expression. I don't even know if I could ever even know that expression. It was like, it was scared. It was lost. I wounded. It was like everything all at once. And I said, what time is it? And she said 6.28 a.m. And the clock was on the wall and the sun was coming up and our car was parked in the front of this diner out the big windows where we could see it. And I said, how long have we been here? And she said, oh, 10 or 15 minutes. You know, can I get you anything? And we're like, Dr. Pepper, you know, <laughs> soda, water, everything. And we what the problem was that we couldn't talk about it it was so odd looking at her you know two feet away and we couldn't speak of it there was it's like the word something stopped it between your brain and your mouth but the terror was in your heart and your body was encapsulated with pure sheer terror i don't know how else to say it but we couldn't try to talk. And when we did try to talk, it would come out like this. It would just stop. It's like, it, I have never felt that block before. I've heard this from other people. Yeah. You know, one was, guy, he was, that was the, the terrorizing part was the block. It's catatonia. You're in, you're in, you're in static catatonia at that point. We've yeah. told, you know, it, that's, that explains that. It, that's exactly how it felt. And, but at the same time that I couldn't speak, I was having this. This was the most terrorizing part. I remembered falling from the sky and I fell for a long time. And I saw the curve of the earth. So I know this is not flat earth. <laughs> I saw the curve of the earth. That's the picture. And I saw the sun coming up and I saw it literally coming through the, the, the points of the different points of the, between the mountains, the sun came in and lit 
up the desert, which was all red rock. Everything in that area, Grand Junction, is all red rock. And I saw it, <clears throat> and it that really messed my mind up. <clears throat> because I could feel it. I could feel the burn. I think that's probably where I got the radiation burns. I could feel the burning of my skin. I felt like my eyebrows had singed off. And it, to this day, I have like zero hair on my arms. It's never come back. And, um, and I itched all over. I don't know how to explain that, but I guess that was part of the radiation. I was itching and burning all over. And all this was going through my head. And I don't know what we did. or I, I know we went to a hotel. And I know it was some gross hotel, like um, cinder blocks, maybe. You know, like an old hotel. But, you know, this was the 70s. And it was in the highway. And it was in the middle of the desert. So um, it's not like it, it was now. But it was kind of like a Route 66 hotel. And I... Mm -hmm remember going in to take a shower and I remember Karen just falling on the first bed and she was in a total fetal position just balled oh. up and I tried to take a shower and I remember coming out with just a towel on and I was so burned that I, I was just burning all over I couldn't wait to get the water dried off of me because I needed to not be wet and then I just laid, I got up behind her and laid and wrapped my arms around her because I was scared to be away from her. An inch would be too far. I, I felt like I, we had to be together. And, but when I woke up, it was probably 20 hours later and I was in the other bed and we were coherent, but we still couldn't talk about what happened. All we could say is, okay, so what's on the agenda today? And, okay, we're going forward. And That's understandable. <laughs> looking at the books, you know, and just trying to go on because we didn't know how to go back. <laughs> you had to go forward because there was no going back. Going back was impossible to talk about it. And the more we tried the more the block came and you could feel like an oppression. I don't know how to say it, but it you could feel like the, a pressure. Um, like you were never alone, like the whole rest of the trip. But we ended up going to Pikes Peak, which, you know, 14,000 feet. I remember seeing black smoke come out the back of the car. And we smoked cigarettes back then. We couldn't smoke a cigarette. It wouldn't burn down, you know, lack of oxygen. And we <laughs> took pictures at the top because the lake at the top of Pikes Peak had turned into like a million little Dairy Queen curls from the wind blowing over it. And a million little curl, 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 pointed curls. It was the most beautiful. And I know we have a picture of it. It's, it's in the album and I know she'll find it. Um, and we both remembered that part. And then what was on the trip was to go to Lake Dillon because we didn't want to go into Denver. And we went to Dillon Lake and we stayed for two days that we neither one of us remember. Two nights, so it was three days. The only thing we really remember is walking down to the reservoir and then walking into town. And we stayed at, at the Best Western. And it's funny because I checked and it's still there. And oh, wow. um, yeah, and we 
and the town was unusually weird, which our brains were that way, but it was brand new. The town was brand new and we couldn't figure out how does the town get to be brand new in Colorado? And since then, I figured that out with a little research that they had flooded the valley and the whole town of Dillon had to be moved to a different location. So all between the old town and the new town were old gold mines and all kinds of mines. I remember that part. And I remember us trying to talk and have normal fun time, but that was really hard because we were sick. I was, I was needing to puke and go to the bathroom like constantly. And here we're trying to travel and we've got plans ahead of us that we were, I was going to stop and talk to a friend in Denver. And I did not because I could not explain why we look like this burned and why we were, we were messed up in our mind. We, we just couldn't talk. We just couldn't have a normal conversation. Was, was this a vacation you were on? I mean, were you still No, it was just a trip cross country. We had 30 days to get the car there. And she had almost, I think, close to three weeks off. So we were just taking our time and really no schedule. And we were going to stop and see uh, Rick, you know, from the Navy. Karen and Rick had started dating. So uh, we were going to Indiana and spend some time with his family on the farm and then go to see our friends um, from Imperial Beach that were our neighbors, um, Will and Julie, and they were up in Chicago, uh, north of Chicago. And I remember going into Wisconsin and picking up some cheese and you could tell we weren't thinking right because we were gonna take some cheese back to Rick's mom. But we got one of those gigantic wheels like this big, it was so big you could hardly carry it. And I remember thinking when we carried it in, like, what were we thinking that we needed that much cheese? Cause that's enough for 10 families, I don't know. <laughs> it was amazing. I'd never seen a wheel of cheese like that. And we bought it. So, we ate a lot of cheese <laughs> and um, I remember not being able to drink much cause I was sick and we went to play pool with uh, Julie and Will, but we were not ourselves because normally we were like wild women and fun, fun, fun. And we were just kind of like, not feeling it, tired, can't talk because so much had happened and it was so scary to try to rationalize that and the only time that you could really do that is when you were totally alone in the hotel and pretend like you were reading but literally there was no information on that page that would have gone into my head watching tv useless it was just all i could think of is falling from the sky and the the jackrabbits the big eyes the moon disappearing that was so there was nowhere to go because there was nobody that talked about those things. And the soonest, you know, was like Bud Hopkins and um, Kathy Davis, her story, which is not really Kathy Davis. Did you Davis. try to treat the burns? No, it, we, we put Vaseline on them because you know, that was the seventies. That, that was the worst thing you could do is put that on there. But back then that's what we did to just protect it, just to, protect ourselves because also I have this place on my neck where a giant scoop it's a whole inch I, I think Preston's got the picture but 
at the time it was bright red like a, a deep red so that whole round area was deep red and pitted in but it was completely sealed over and it wasn't juicy or scabbed i mean there was no liquid it was it, I, I never figured out why and, and now it's still a weird every time i've gone to the doctor through the years you know like what is that on your neck because it's right on your carotid artery it's right right on there and now it, it's kind of like a puckered place but i can actually feel it and know where exactly where it is and it, and it has sometimes it gets tender sometimes it, it is tender and sometimes it's not so I, the whole time we were traveling, I remember when we got to Indiana to, to Rick's, Rick's mom was like a hero to me because she worked for, I'm trying to think of the name. It was a trucking company, a huge trucking company, well-known. And she was like a big cheese. And back then in the seventies, women didn't get to be big cheeses of anything. So it was really nice. <laughs> To be in the kitchen with her and spend some time with her and Karen and Rick spent time together. But I was so sick and I remember being sick because their septic went out on the farm and Rick had to fix it himself. So for two days he was digging in the crap. And and we were trying to have an alternative way to go to the bathroom because the septic wasn't working. So that trip was hilarious when you look back at it like that. But at the same time, we weren't really laughing because we were uncomfortable and still burned. And even though we were feeling better, we could talk. Oh, well, I guess, what would you say? It. Um, we could talk about the weather and general conversation, but our thoughts all went back to the jackrabbits in nine hours. What happened in that nine hours? Now and, you're talking to her now, right? This, yeah, this the weirdest. The, yeah. yeah, for okay. years we couldn't talk. So have, you, matched, so have you sat down and compared memories and stuff like that? Yes, and, and it's so funny because she had breast cancer um, at a young age. And I, I, we, I, I wonder, you know, was it because of the radiation? And I ended up with an autoimmune. Was it because of the radiation? It's hard to say, but... We we did we we broke and didn't couldn't talk for a while. So when I got home, when we got home to my to my home, um, we did the family thing, and I showed her around town. I think we went to Tony's and you know got ice cream and Gastonia and all those little things that you do, local things. And then she had to go; she had to fly back. So we delivered the car, and. I wish to this day, I wish we would have had it checked for radiation because I think we probably delivered a, a radiated guard to somebody. I've thought about that since then. Um, I don't know how that works, but I'm sure our, our clothes probably had it on it too. And um, once we got the car delivered, then Karen flew back. And then two days later, I got really sick, like so sick that daddy was having to carry me with projectile vomiting. And let's just say I had it from both ends. It was that bad. And my stepmother wrapped me in a towel while daddy carried me to the bathroom because I was completely unable to walk. I hurt so bad on my right side. I thought I was going to die. 
And you know what, Susan, I have to stop you for just a second so okay. we can get a, okay. a station identification before it gets too late. This is fascinating. I'm riveted. Okay. And so is the people in chat, they're like, wow, this is amazing. Well, where to come? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let, let me just let everyone know that you are watching The Light Gate. This is episode 22. I'm Preston Dennett, your host. My lovely co-host is experiencer Dolly Safran. Our guest tonight is Susan Ware, artist and amazing UFO experiencer. And we are streaming live on United Public Radio Network in New Orleans, 107.7 FM, and on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Um, what's that call sign, Dolly? 103.5? 105.3. 105.3. Sorry, I didn't write it there. Yeah. I'm slightly dyslexic there, <laughs> 105.3. And of course, we're on YouTube as well as Roku and on uh, Facebook. So, oh, thanks for the super chat, Michelle De Roche. I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah, that was all the thank, thank you, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, 107.7 United Public Radio Network, New Orleans. All right. That was the call signs I needed to shout out for our, our wonderful people who are giving us this platform. And didn't mean to interrupt you, Susan, but I had to get that out of the way. Well, it's okay. And here, I just want to bring this up because I, I keep flashing this. <laughs> and I want people to know what <laughs> we're looking at here. This is the, the route you were taking through the Utah desert from... Yeah. Cedar City to yep. Grand Junction, Colorado. Yep. So this is where your experience happened. And this is 337 miles. And you actually looked on the mileage on your car, right? Yeah, and that's the weird thing. It was the next day at that hotel before we left that we noticed that when, when we got back in the car and we were writing down the numbers, we still had gas in the tank and we didn't have that 335 miles on the odometer. So that tells me the car had to be taken with us and it had to be laid down there. That's why I had asked the, the waitress, did you see us pull in? And she said, no, I just looked up and you were there. So, oh. It's like, I still wish I would have known. And they didn't have cameras like they do now, or that would have been the first thing I did to see, you know, did I come out of the sky or did we drive up or what? Because she did say Karen was driving. And I do have a memory before the hypnosis of exiting the car and standing. And then Karen and I looked across the street to this giant red rock that was different than all the others. It was a single you know, the red big mesa um, all by itself was across the street out the, the diner. There you go. Yeah, so this could be the actual diner. This might be not, it. Yeah, no, we found two. Sure, but... And the investigator, uh, Ron Benaziak from MUFA, and actually called them and talked to them. And there was two choices. Uh, and one of them had been there since well before 1978. So that it's possible. We're still trying to figure it out, but the, the decor inside, they said for both of them was the red 
Um, and that's what we remember. Everything was red, you know, the red booth and everything. And the pictures we found were pretty much it. So. Yeah, I think you sent me that too. So. Yeah. Oh, there it is. So that would be amazing. Yeah, weird because, yeah, that's it. Boy, that just like, ooh, that kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, I can when imagine. Because <laughs> I remember just, I remember Karen's face. Just, we were like deer in the headlights. There was just no emotion. It, it was so deep and so terrifying that there were no words. No, so. Um, so Karen flew back, you know, and then I got sick and, um, what happened with that is I got real emotional when I was sick and I think my fever was so high. I started telling daddy what happened. And when I started telling my dad what had happened, I remember his face like, uh Oh, she's losing it, you know? And he went because you could do this back then. He went down to the drugstore in town to Uncle Jim, and he brought home some phenobarbital, which I don't even know what that is. I didn't even know what that was. And it's I an took phenobarbital. Yeah, and it yeah. put me completely asleep for about 38 to 40 hours. Yeah. I think I was in a coma. And during <laughs> that time, I remember processing everything that had happened and I must have been doing this the whole time because I'm arguing with it. Nope, that's impossible. Nope, that's impossible. So in all the delirium of the fever and all, <clears throat> when I woke up, Daddy and Sandy were sitting beside me and they're like, hey, we're so glad you're back. And, you know, I didn't know how long I had been asleep, but I wasn't hurting and I wasn't sick. I had, um, I drank a whole lot and just, I remember just laying on the sofa watching TV for about two or three days. And, um, and I didn't talk about what had happened, but I figured my daddy knew because I had told him and I remember little pieces of telling him the story. And I, I, I know that he just couldn't understand because I've got the, I've got the burns on me. I got the marks on me on my back. I have three marks that look like, um, giant exploded blood vessels. One here, one here, one here. Just boom, boom, boom. One on each side of my spine and then one shortly off to the side of my spine. And they just look like dark red blood vessels, which have been there since that day. And um, I remember a little bit during the hypnosis that a hand was passed back behind me and then something right here was uh, like a, a what do you call it pneumatic gun like um like they used in the military when we all got the the swine flu shots and it, it injects you with air and that's what that felt like on my neck because I do remember that part even even before the hypnosis but um so I was really sick and then I got better and didn't much talk about it just went on with my life and then flew back to California and Karen and I lived together and I was dating Chuck and she was dating Rick and that kind of gave us a little cushion space. But I remember it was so hard to talk because 
the real meat of the, of the issue, we couldn't get close to. We couldn't even begin oh. to talk about it. We could cook together. We could do everything, but we could not talk about that that day. And after a while, we kind of drifted apart. They got married and moved away. Chuck and I got married. And um, it was just kind of set on the burner. I did tell him, but he, he just was like, oh, yeah, okay. There was never any deep discussion about it. And I always wondered, did he understand that that's real? You know, that this really happened and it has really affected me. How long and, was it before you started uh, going back to that memory and uh, trying to figure it out? How many years was it? Well, I had it always. I had it always. Mm -hmm. I had the kids and then um, I, I tried to really pretend. Here's why I didn't tell. First of all, I was, as as time went on, and then Whitley came out, and then Bud Hopkins, and those things came out, I knew there was a possibility that I could talk to them, and I think I wrote Whitley a letter from the address on the back of the book, and I remember writing Bud Hopkins a letter, but I remember sticking it in my Bible and not mailing it. I'll do that <laughs> later. I'm not quite ready. I need to think about this because I knew if I did, it was probably going to mean government people in my home or some kind of something that I did not want around my family. I just, the more you think about it and bring it into your life, the more it happens. So I just kind of let it just simmer and I drew the pictures and I wrote um, a lot and then I started buying the books at Barnes and Noble and I'd put my notes in them, but I'd always keep them in my underwear drawer so the kids wouldn't find them, but the kids all found them. <laughs> and sooner or later, you know, they were all just out. And then I remember as people would come over and visit and they would ask questions, I would make sure that they left with the book because if you're interested, I want you to have some facts. So I always would give them my books away and then buy a new ones. But the ones that had the notes in them were mine. But I always tried to make sure that if people had questions that, you know, well, I don't have a lot of answers. And I didn't even, some people I never even told. I mean, during PTA and things like that, you don't, it's not something that you talk about during that time. <laughs> you, know, you don't pop it in as when you're no. in PTA. You know, <laughs> no, you can't keep that to yourself. You can't yeah. your best friend. Yeah. And, but you just, you can't bring it up when, you, when you're teaching in that school. And, you, and I taught ESL in that school and I worked PTA and volunteered. You just can't talk about that kind of stuff. But we lived in Virginia Beach. And I do remember, it was after the year 2000, seeing something shoot out of the sky during a thunderstorm. And what had happened is um, me and my friend Kate were there with all the kids. We had all the kids. It's like every neighborhood kid would go with us at 830 in the morning and would come home about three. And would go down to 28th Street. That's where we raised our kids. And um, I remember this vicious storm coming up because it's right at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay. And all of a sudden, just this black thing came flying out of hmm. a circle. So, so there was a total black mass of clouds, but there was a circle, one circle. And it shot out of the circle. And I remember saying, <clears throat> I can't say what I said, 
<laughs> that must be the that must be the blot blank of the storm. And then I said, grab the chairs and run. So I had already dropped the umbrella because that's like, you know, that's just asking for it when you're on the beach. And we've got a long way to ride to run to the car. But the kids had all left. And I said, if you can't, if you can't take it to the car, just drop it. You know, we'll be okay. But we gotta get in that car to protect ourselves. It was lightning and thundering. And I remember saying, Oh my God, what is that? That's the blank blank of the storm. And I didn't know it, but my son had heard me say that. So when we got back to the car, it's a big station wagon full of the kids. And he said, what is the blank blank of the storm? And I was like, you know, oops. <laughs> so, but I had seen something yeah. come out of there and it wasn't a lightning yeah. bolt and it wasn't a bird. And those things have been going on in Virginia Beach for a while. And that's not far from Oceana. That's just right down the road. We lived at the very end of Oceana. Uh, Are you still in, in Virginia? The area. What? Are you still in Virginia? No, I'm Northern California now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, Sonoma County. So, so beautiful San there. Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's, um, that's just an area I loved, but um, I do remember seeing that. And then I thought, I'm just going to let that go because to deal with it would bring it back into my life. And I didn't want it back in my life yet. So um, it really came back full on uh, divorce kind of triggered it off and all the stuff I had stuffed down for years all came back at one time. So I had to deal with that and how I dealt with it was, this is what's really weird. I'm just minding my own business um, at my desk and um, I'm an artist and I was working and it came right into my head. Go type in UFO on your iPad. And so I walked over here and typed it in and it came up John Yost's movie. Um, um, alien abduction, uh, yeah, alien answers. abduction answers. It was so weird. It just, popped up on the screen and I thought oh that's weird okay but I can't wait to see it you know because I liked I've always been drawn to watch those things uh my husband and my household watched everything weird too but yet if I tried to talk about they go oh that's mom's world you know Susan's world that's what they would call it. <laughs> just poo poo it off and I don't know if it's because they were uncomfortable or they just really didn't want to talk about it or they didn't believe it I'm just not quite sure because I never forced it on them but then this came up and I watched it well put it this way I sat in my chair the same chair I'm just just like I am right now and I turned it on and in the first 17 seconds I just melted into a pile of tears out of my chair onto my bed fetal position first 17 seconds and all he said was the government's known about this for a long time and that he was tired of lying about it. And boy, all that four letter word just came flying up out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, it was every, all the terror, all everything. So I watched the first five minutes uh, getting creeped out, hair on my body, standing up, feeling nauseous. Mm. 
blink, 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 memory, memory, memory. It was not comfortable. And then within, turned it off. A few minutes later, came back, turned it off. I had to process it and digest it for a while. And the day after, I have never, ever done this in my whole life. I, I, I am not a celebrity kind of person. Everybody's good at something and special at something. And so I've never really thought celebrities like celebrity. But I reached out to John on Facebook and I said, help. <laughs> I just watched your movie and it triggered everything in me. And now I need help. And when you watch the movie and everybody should watch this movie. And because it shows John just bears himself. There's more courage there than I think I've ever seen. He just bears his soul and it is raw because he was a child when this happened. And when he tells it, it gets so deep into me because I feel like a vibration from the movie. I, I it, it just completely encapsulated me. So after I saw the movie and I reached out to him because I need some help like you got. And he sent me to the help and that was Deb Shakti, Deb Shakti Buller. And I wrote her and I guess John wrote her and told her what had happened. And then I made an appointment with her and um, went under hypnosis and everything I had remembered this is Debs right here. There's yeah. Debs. Oh my God, she's the most incredible person. You 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 can just feel the love around her. She just exudes love. So here's my regular memory of what's going on. And then when the hypnosis happens, it kind of blends. It's not like this. It's not this blending. It's this. It's kind of in and out. So you know, all your conscious memory is there. And there was a lot more conscious memory under the hypnosis. And Debs didn't know. I mean, there's no way you can guide them because they don't know all of your story. What she did is we figured out a mode of transportation. And that is I'm going to ride in a bubble in my mind when she put me under because I'm comfortable with that. And I've always done that in my dreams. I travel by bubble. It's my emergency. It's what I put around me when I have an emergency. I need to heal. You know, it's always the bubble. So um, she put me in the bubble and then took me just, where do you want to go? I wanted to go to the highway. I wanted to go to where the doors were open on the car. I want to know why the heck we got out of the car. And we didn't just like plow through those rabbits, which I, I love animals and Karen did too. In today's world, I think we would have just gone zoom and flown by, but we were just not, we were, we were taken over by something else already. I, I, and, and all I can say is I didn't see it, but I felt it and it was huge, gigantic because it blocked out all of the light from mountain to mountain, literally from side to side of the road, completely blacked out. And it had to be huge, you know. So all of these memories came flooding back. And when I was under hypnosis, um, I re remember, this is really weird. I remember, let's say everybody's probably done this, but you know, if you're driving down the road and you've got a, a, a child or a sack of groceries or a pet 
in the seat beside you. When you hit your brakes really quick, you throw your arm over naturally. I don't know if it's a mother thing or I wasn't a mother then. It's just it's just a natural thing to do to protect the person that you're with. Well, I remember grabbing Karen with my left arm and lunging towards her to hold her back. And the only reason I think I did that is because we were moving. We were lifting up. And I that was my reaction to grab her as we lifted up. Now, I don't know anything about the car, but the car had to be lifted up too because the mileage was missing and the gas was still there. That is more bizarre than I can explain or <laughs> there's no there's no reasoning for that it is just it is what it is so um, I remember the entity beside me was still gray you know it wasn't a rabbit I kind of wish it was a jackrabbit but it wasn't <laughs> and it was right beside me and uh I remember having, I, I could not look at it in the eyes. I, it was no, no eye contact. I would look up a little bit and look down. And I remember that happening when I was young too. When I was real young, no looking in their face. And um, I, 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 it's really weird. Um, it seems to be a cultural thing. In Mexico, I noticed that a lot of the children look down all the time. They don't look up, they look down a lot. And I noticed that uh, when I worked in Chula Vista, there was a lot of kids around the apartment complex and they would always have their heads down. And I associated it with that when I would watch the children and I would think, I wonder why their head's always down. And I, I wonder, because that's how I felt when I was young. And so I would watch them and I would think about this as an adult. But I, I when, when I was in the craft, I was on a table with my legs hanging and I remember thinking I really want to touch him I, I really want to touch him and he, and he said okay you can touch me but he didn't say it with his mouth he said it in my head yeah you can touch me and I remember running my finger down his arm which was really long and weird long fingers and it felt like um packing rubber <laughs> packing rubber thin and underneath was um, soft but packing not like our skin more like a more like a dolphin but yep. but like that packing stuff that you the long sheets of it that are that are about this thick and then um, I, I remember pulling my finger away and thinking, <laughs> and it said, and it said in my head, oh, it's not, ooh, I'm just like you. You are just like me. Just like that. And I thought, oh, oh, oh that's, I remember being like, Ugh. and then calming down. And then um, I remember being laid down and I don't know what happened, but the, the pain in my right side, I remember something was going on in my right side and I still don't know what yet, but, um, that's what happened. So that was in 78. So here's, here's the, here's the real grabber here. Um, after I had my children, I, after Aaron was born, so that was in 1986, 
um, I couldn't get my period right. And I just was sick for three years. And I had gone to two different doctors. We got to do something. So I finally went to a doctor in Ventura and I said, he said, well, okay, I got a couple of options. And I said, no, let's just have a hysterectomy. That's the only option. Let's just do it. I don't want any more children. And I can't stand living and, you know, that controlling me anymore because I was a fun person and it, it was bothering me. So I go in and have the hysterectomy. And the next morning when the doctor comes in, he says, you told me you had never had surgery before. And I said, no, I hadn't. But during while I was pregnant with my daughter, I had a hip cast on and I was on a walker and eight surgeries on my ankle, but never have I had any kind of surgery, you know, my girly parts. So he said, well, that's really bizarre because what I found was on your right side where you're having all that pain, your right ovary was missing and the fallopian tube had been attached to your appendix and at some time your appendix had exploded or burst and then been folded up nice and neat and sealed with some kind of high carterization like a laser and we don't use that so what is this uh, I had no idea. I I knew, but I wasn't about to say, oh, that's when I got beamed up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, you just don't do that. So, <laughs> right. so, so, you know, he asked me again later on that day. I am so confused by this. Oh, and then he told me inside when he had taken my appendix out, he said, here's the real kicker. When I took your appendix out, inside it, was a sack of pellet-sized, like hard, rocky, like raisin pellets. It was full of those. And I don't even know what those are. So we're going to send this off. Well, I never heard about that again, what that was. And I don't know if he sent it off, but I was so weirded out the fact that he found something foreign in me and that I had conceived two kids and only had one left over it. And had all that time I had all that pain on that side. So what do you say to that? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Now you it, saw it, some images and stuff when you were on the craft as well, right? Well, I, I saw the same images that were flashing as a child. And this time it came with a message, not just images. And it said, if you don't change the ways, if you and everyone else, you've got to learn to love each other and respect each other and take care of the world, take care of the earth. And, or, or this that you're seeing is going to be what happens to you. Now, I took that personally as a child when I saw those. Yeah. Was it from watching war movies with my dad? No, because this was much more extreme. This was a warning, but I was too young to understand it. But as an adult, when you get that, flash, flash, flash. All of that happened when I was on board. 
and it was a very clear message. And it said, you are love. You've always been love and you have to stay love. And that message has always been in me. And it was so hard when I went through the divorce because I had, it's the first time in my whole life that I've not felt loved by somebody mm -hmm. else and, and had been told, I do not love you. And that literally took me down because I was hearing and seeing that finger, you are love in my head. You are love and love will fix all of this. If you can just stay in love, just always be love. Wow. That was the message that could change the earth. That's the only, it's so basic. It's just so basic to respect people, to be kind to be to people, to listen to what they have to say, not preconceived judgment. Um, it changed me when I had somebody say, I do not love you. And it took me 10 years to get that love back. And this is part of getting it back is I finally have learned I am love. Oh, yeah. I have always been love. I have always given love. I don't. If, if I have seemed um, assertive, is that a good word for it? Uh, like an assertive woman, you know what we get called other than assertive. <laughs> <laughs> That's only been as a strength for my family. And I was very assertive to keep all this away out of my family and out of my home. But it took this last 10 years for me to know that it's a safe time now. And having John and Debs intervene. And then I had been watching you for years. And then I got in a little bit deeper and I found that the circle that I was with really lifted me up. Um and understood what I had been through because most of the people had been through that too. And there was something else. Uh, um, there was something else that happened when I was really young. And I wanted to ask y'all about this because I figured Dolly probably knows. When I was young, uh, I was four years old. I was still living in the plaza. That's how I know it's the times timeline. It was sometime between four and five. I always took a, a bath with my brother. So I was probably about four. And you know, when you get out of the bathtub and you got short little legs, we had lined all of our toys up on the side of the bathtub. And I cut myself um, in a bad place and had to be taken to the hospital. And I remember at four when they laid me on the table and that big light came down. Now, my mother was in the room and she laid across my legs because she had graduated from Presbyterian Hospital. And so they let her in because she was a nurse. And I remember and didn't and I've never known what this was. I went up to the corner of the room, up to the corner and watched them sew me up. Yeah, you obeyed. You were, you were, what yeah. is that? Is what is that? Is, is that astral? Is that out of body? Yes. Yeah, that's what out of body. That? Yep. Sounds that's like out it. of body. Yeah. So that's an OBE. Yeah. Okay, so that that I did when I was young, after the original experience in the desert started happening all the time. When I would hear somebody say something, I'd think, oh, God, that's so cruel. My mind would go zip up to the top of the roof and 
the building, if we were outside, it just goes above. And I've never said this. It's the weirdest thing to say it, but I'm going to say it. I could see why, how something. That oh, you're remote said. viewing while you're awake. <laughs> yeah. That's so a remote view. You're absolutely remote viewing. Whatever yeah. they were saying, yeah. I could see from above how it was going to affect other people in the room and other people that even weren't with them attached to them at their homes and in their community and their families, how it was going to affect them. And I'd go, wait, wow. wait, you need to rethink that. And they'd go, what do you mean? And I'd say, well, think about it this way. What if blah, blah, blah. And then and they'd go, oh, that's weird. And I think, yeah, you know, okay, so just make your move. And all through my life, I would see what was getting ready to happen. And when you got kids, you've got to kind of like stop it because if you don't, you're going to have a disaster because my son was very, very active and not the usual. And um, he took a lot of time. And that was my superpower. Every time he ran away to find him, I literally would say out loud, angels, I need you now as I'm driving. I would just scream it out. Angels, I need you now. And every time I would know exactly where to turn and the lights would hit him and he'd go, oh, and he'd get in the car. <laughs> it, it happened over and over. It was. Just well, here, here's a good time to bring up a question from chat because we do, you know, like to answer some of the questions that are in chat, and we're, we've only yeah. got like 15 minutes left. And okay. I know and there's I still a lot more story more. that I really want to tell. Okay. okay. Well, here, let me just flash this question real quick because Janice Connett is asking a good question. Susan, have your children had experiences? And if so, do they talk to you about them? No, they would make fun of me. But I wonder if my son has been sensitive his whole life because he used to have nightmares and the doors in his closet would open and the curtains would open in his room and he would just have those night terrors. And um, I, I often wondered if it had something to do with it. And I would do this thing about cleaning that room and smudging and especially when he wasn't there because I didn't want them to see me doing, you know, anything to make it like woo woo because that's where they would get, they would laugh at me and joke. So nope, not that I, the one thing I do know that has, has hit me recently is that the house that my great grandmother lived in is still there. And my sister has it because my stepmother just passed and, and my dad passed many years ago. And my whole life, those windows were all nailed closed with those giant <laughs> big nails. And I remember many times sitting on the porch with my grandmother in the swing, which is still there. It's my favorite spot on the earth. And I would say, why are the windows all closed with nails? Sometimes she would just go say nothing. And then one time she said, because and she went just like this. Because there's monsters out there. Yeah, that, when I lived on the farm in Wisconsin, they nailed the windows shut to my room. And my room, uh, see, my room and I shared around because I was leaving even then. <laughs> that, and they're trying yeah. to keep me in. Yep. Yes. Wow. And my dad yeah. was an only he child. He, he was there too. But yeah. my great grandmother was there. And then my grandma and grandpa moved in there with her. And then we would visit all the time. And I, I always thought that was so odd. So how strange it is. I've never known any, anybody else to have their 
their windows nailed closed and she lived on the railroad bank. I thought, did that have something to do with it? But, and on a meal, in, in, in a meal town, but I don't know. The only thing I could think of is how stand back as she was when I would ask and she would get those big eyes and say, cause there's monsters out there. And she would kind of whisper it. So I, I, I kind of wonder about that, if that could be it, you know, but as far as I, something I you don't remember, that's all. <laughs> Seriously. Well, yeah. Yeah. You I know, just you're not the only one who sees things in your family. I guarantee it. So yeah, well, they were seeing stuff. I moved into that house when the windows were still nailed closed. Um, at 15, I left my mom and moved in with my dad. Yeah. All because of love. I, it's all about my dad taught me a, the deepest love. And my mom was just the opposite. And I remember we knocked that part of the house off and built a hallway and two other bedrooms. And then we could open our windows and it felt like, wow, this is the first time this house has ever had the windows open. It felt so good. Wow. <laughs> but I always remember that, how odd that was that we couldn't open the windows. But Here's the other story. This is where I got the message in 1980, uh, 2008, maybe 2009, something like that. When my grandson was, was born in Winchester, Virginia, we went through 22 hours of labor with my daughter. She was silent. I don't know how she did it. I'm not quite sure what all that was about, but the love was there. And I remember her saying, I can't believe you did this with a hip cast on and delivered me with the hip cast on. And she thanked me. And I remember after 22 hours, she ended up having to have a C-section. And I went to right outside to the waiting room, which was packed with people. And they were all talking and TV was going. And it was like, because I, I just need a little bit of quiet sometimes. And so I found this little hallway where there was an elevator here and an elevator here and right at the window between the two of them was a bush and two chairs. And so I sat down in that chair and I pulled the bush over in front of me and turned around just to lean against the window and just have a little bit of quiet time because I knew my son, my grandson was being delivered. At that split moment when I just got quiet, a woman came up and sat in the other chair. She answered her phone and she screamed, oh, my God, no. And I looked at her and my heart just seized and she fell to her knees and she dropped the phone. And I fell to my knees and grabbed her and wrapped my arms around her. And I said, what happened? And she said, my grand, my grandchild was supposed to be born today, but they can't find a heartbeat. Mm. And she oh. just had a stillbirth. And we held each other and rocked sitting in the floor at the hospital. And at that same time, Joshua from the back, Ashley's husband, brought me a picture from Polaroid of my grandson. And that was behind her back that I took it and I looked at it and I just broke down the beauty and the terror of it all at one time. And I heard in my mind, just be love, just be love. 
So about 20 minutes later, we finally let go of each other. And she said, I don't even know your name. Mm-hmm. And I said, it doesn't matter. And she said, why are you here? You're like an angel. How did you, you've just helped me so much. And when she said, why are you here? I just went and I showed her the picture of my new born grandson. And then for another 20 minutes, we hugged in the hallway and then we stood up and we hugged again and we kissed each other and we left. And I think that's probably one of the most profound moments in my life when I know that if everybody dug that deep and if things like that happened to people and they paid attention, it would change the world. That would change the world. I've never had a connection with anyone like that. And a stranger that I'd still to this day do not know her name, but Mm -hmm. it was her worst nightmare in my finest moment that I had my grandson. And turning that picture around to her, just she just looked deep into it and I could see that she wanted to be excited for me. And for a moment she was. And two women, I tell you, there is nothing more powerful, nothing when you put that love together. <laughs> so I just wanted to make sure that I told y'all that because it's those moments that if you pay attention, you could change the whole world. And had I not had whatever that was since I was age four, I'm not sure I'd have it because my mother was kind of the opposite of that, but my dad was huge love. And um, those profound things come to you purpose for a purpose. I was there at that exact moment for a purpose. And it's, I was pretty old then, you know, that's so weird that I, I wish things like that happened in your twenties and, we could get a grasp on that when we're younger and then hang on to that our whole lives. It would change the world <laughs> in good ways. Amazing. So, yeah, you've had a lot of amazing experiences. We didn't even get into the Bigfoot encounter you had, which is oh, yeah, also- Oh yeah, yeah, that was near Julian. And, and, and it was so simple. I set up at night, I could see the fire flickering. Um, we had been drinking a little bit that night and there was a bottle with clink and my husband was beside me and Jackie was with me. And I saw that monster. I saw the hand gigantic. Um, I could hear him breathing and he pushed the top of our tent down and it was like this close to my head. And I screamed, get out. And I remember it was like high-fiving the Bigfoot. <laughs> through the tent, it was gigantic. The hand was powerful. And I heard boom, 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 boom. And it left. And it, I was shaking. Jackie had jumped up and she was on me. And Chuck was under us. And he came up like, what happened? You know, like nobody knew what happened but me. I had just touched a Bigfoot and I know that that's what it was because if it was a bear we would have been eaten we would have been mauled and that tent would have been torn up so and and honestly it had this feeling like a human hand I felt the energy of that thing and weeks before (laughs) it was just it was gigantic and the palm was as big as my whole hand and I heard the (gasps) Uh, from him 
or it and <laughs> then it left off the back of the tent and it's the same place that two weeks or three weeks before we had had this weird fog move in and i had followed the sound of whatever that was in the woods until we got to the road and i think it was the same thing so that was up at Paso picacho outside of um julian so right. yeah so there's I a lot of good activity there yeah. i think they're all related all, all of that's related and i and think so. once you experience one you're open to enough or something clicks in you that you're accepting to that because it didn't it wasn't so scary until it came down on my head once i touched it and pushed with all my might scream get out of here <laughs> um, it did <laughs> it did and we went back to that campground many times and never had anything like that yeah and you so smelled I, it also didn't you i mean you oh could... it stunk it was so close <laughs> That's the what they could smell it. That's the whole thing. They could smell it too. So it's it definitely happened. It wasn't <laughs> a dream because I was already sitting up when and very aware of oh something's out there. You know the first thing I thought of uh oh it could be a bear, and we were very prepared that we didn't have anything in the tent with us and everything was locked in the car. But that doesn't always stop them from coming in anyway. So yeah. Well, there's another guy in, in the book who also had a bigfoot encounter. So yeah. I think you know, I've talked to another contactee. She had a bunch of Bigfoot encounters. I've had a Bigfoot encounter. I think yeah, Dolly has too. Not anything you expect. I mean, I didn't go looking for them, literally, but I definitely saw a gigantic thing with, you could see because the fire was sparkling and it was just a thin nylon tent. And I could see it literally reach down and then when it came forward, ah! I'll never well, forget we only that. have it like five more terrible. minutes, so I'm not going to be able to get to most of the questions in chat. But here's one. Uh, Allison is asking, did you do a few other hypnosis sessions? So is this just one session? I only had one. I had one. We had four hours together. We talked for about two and I was under for two hours, I think in 38 minutes. And it felt like 10 minutes. I even went to the bathroom. I remember running to the bathroom and feeling uh, like I was walking on a cloud. It, it was a weird, it, it was the strangest feeling. But the conscious memories and the hypnosis memories are completely different. It's when you tell the story that they blend a little bit, just a little bit, because most of it was conscious memory. Um, um, I wish I remembered more, but I think it's enough. <laughs> it's enough. Because what what happened after I came out of the hypnosis, all the misery from the divorce was gone, all the terror and all the confusion of all those years is gone. And I feel the healthiest and it's really helped my health a lot. You wouldn't even believe how it's changed my health. Oh, I'm sure. My, I want to show yeah, people yeah, some of your had, art too <laughs> before oh, we yeah. <laughs> Because you're really talented and it's really cool. These little right. fairy houses. I have you another built. one. <laughs> I have this one. I like those. That's oh. cool. And here's another. These are my fairy houses. <laughs> they keep just... me entertained. <laughs> oh, and there's the book your story is in. Yeah, and how this happened is I just checked it out really. I checked um, Preston out really good and then I just contacted him on Facebook and I said, can we talk? And then <laughs> we did for hours and 
it's been pretty amazing. It's been full circle. I'm full circle with this and I'm so glad this is a dream come true right now. Y'all are all living my dream with me that I can do (laughs) this. Don't have to worry about my family. Somebody wants to come to my home and ask me questions. I'm okay with that. Just, well, you know, I'm so honored that you chose good. our show, yes. do your first Absolutely. public appearance. And yeah, I'm honored that you shared your story with me and so many other people. I'm sure it's going to help. And your yeah, case absolutely. is getting a lot of attention and might even appear on TV. It's awesome just to yeah, see I, how far I, you've you know, come. It's pretty weird when, when um, Earl said he was going to do that. I, I thought, wow, this is a little bigger than I thought, but. At this point, you said um, it's coming out in the next few weeks. No. Yeah, no. in the next, I, I can't get to the name of it because it's on, the, on my iPad. So you've already done the filming of of something oh, that's going to be. Oh, it's not me. Home? It's Earl. Oh. he's using my. Story. Oh, Earl. Okay, all right. Yeah. I thought it was you. I don't Earl know why. Gray, he's using okay. my story. Yeah, I haven't done anything okay. for television, and I don't plan to. So. Well, I do I want to give a shout out. Story. Yeah. I want to give a shout I out to all the people who. Gave, gave oh, super chat. So really want to thank you guys for that. This has you been an awesome rock. show. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you, Raul, Namaste, Doxy. And thank you all Terry for being D. here for me. I appreciate it more than you could imagine. <laughs> Science Bob. Thank you so much. Lala Bright. Lala. Henry Jackson. <laughs> Lala gave me a pet. Michelle de Rocher, so lovely. Lala Bright again. So kind of you guys, Henry Jackson. Great. Really, really appreciate it. And yeah, you thank you so great. much for right. coming on the show. It's just really it's been an honor awesome. to hear your story out. Thank you. It has been um, an honor to be here. I, I can't even believe that it's been two hours. It's just like you said, it flies by. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a total weight of the world has been. That you should. Shoulders. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Keep going with that yeah well thank you everyone for coming to see us on the light gate tonight uh we had a wonderful time with you uh we hope to see you again soon and susan this is not the last show you'll do with us we're gonna get you to come back okay because there's lots more to talk about um we've been coming to you live from the beautiful city of new orleans louisiana at the united public radio network at 107.7 fm and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. Good night, everybody. Namaste. <laughs> and, and remember that love is always the best way to go. It's a good thing to do. <laughs> love you, Susan. <laughs> I love Bye. you guys. Thank you so much.